the name of the Lord. You can be seated. Um, we've got one book left, I think. Yeah, this one over here. If somebody needs to get that tonight, that's what we're working from. We have uh, something called um, God's Word for Life. That's what we do on Wednesday nights. It's uh, kind of a um, uh, through the Bible, Bible study with a lot of different uh, flavors. And so tonight we're going to begin um, the um, four-week study on the work of the Spirit. Hopefully this will be something that will not only um, awaken you, but it'll be something that will touch your heart and begin to give you, again, hope for what the Lord has done. Uh, the lessons are going to follow tonight. We're going to talk about the necessity of the Spirit um, next week, we'll talk about being led by the Spirit, followed by empowered by the Spirit, and then last of all, we'll talk about victory through the Spirit in Jesus' name. And so hopefully this will be something that will literally uh, touch your heart in Jesus' name. Let me read this story to you first before we get started, and then we'll talk about something. I want to ask you a question. If you were to, um, if you had to make major income changes in your household right now. If something happened and maybe your wages were cut in half, maybe something like that, um, what would be the first thing that you would cut off? Think about that. What would be the first thing that, would, that, that, that could go in Jesus' name? Praise God. Think about that. Uh, tonight I'm going to read this. It, it says it was crushing. This kind of has to do with the subject matter. George had worked at the plant for nearly 20 years when rumors of an impending downsizing began to circulate. Once the personal cuts started, he knew his seniority would, uh, would be a factor in whether or not he could keep his job. But there he sat in his truck in his company parking lot, um, holding the letter informing him that his position had been eliminated. How would you like to got that letter today, huh? Yeah. What would they do? He and his wife, Lisa, had grown accustomed to a comfortable lifestyle. Suddenly, money would become tight, and they would be forced to evaluate every purchase and expenditure much more carefully. They would need to discern better between needs and wants. Everybody say that. Needs and wants. Wow. Well, after the kids were in bed, George and Lisa sat down that night to discuss their situation, they held hands across the dining room table and asked God to give them wisdom to make right decisions while they waited on Him to provide the needed employment for their future. After an amen, which led to that unique peace, come on, somebody say peace, that only prayer provides, they turned their attention to their household budget. They would have to make some obvious temporary adjustments the vacation, maybe, that they had planned for the summer would have to be delayed. The funds that they had been saving for maybe a swimming pool in their backyard might have to just go to paying bills. More meals in, fewer meals out. They would make it work. And gratefully, God quickly opened another employment door in response to George and Lisa's faithfulness and diligent prayer. Still, that season refined their perspective regarding what fiscally mattered. Yeah. In economics, some of these needs are called necessity goods. Necessity goods are the last things customers stop buying when their income declines. 
And these are things to which they devote a lower percentage of their spending and their income as their income rises. Generally, necessity goods are divided into eight categories. Food, utilities, communications, housing, transportation, medicine, education, and services, such as daycare and dry cleaning, and so on. There are some spiritual necessity goods as well. Spiritual necessity goods. Somebody say amen. Spiritual necessity goods are those relational commodities we simply must have if we are to be in right fellowship with God. The list contains significant items such as prayer, repentance, faith, obedience, the Word of God, submission, water baptism, a pastor, a church, family, among other things. One gift we cannot purchase but must have is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Without this living dynamic of God in our lives, we may have religion, but we do not have relationship that leads to eternal life. Being filled with the Spirit is an absolute must to live a victorious life down here. Can somebody say amen? And we need to have that to be ready for the next age to come in Jesus' name. Praise God. Well, you've heard the story. Let's get some input here. Over here, what would be the first thing that would go? Oh, yes, that put on a sweater, wouldn't they? Yeah, thermostat would go down. How about you? Yep, don't have room for a car payment then, do we? Good idea. How about over here? What would be the first thing that would go? Say your income was cut in a third or a half. What would? Yep, yep, some of those things that you just don't see. How about you? What would go? Yeah. How about over here? You guys got any ideas? Ah, yeah. No more wandering through the grocery store and grabbing the first thing that looks good, right? Yeah. How about you? High-speed internet. Yeah. Boy, we can't live without that, though, can we? Oh, we could try, though, couldn't we? Yes. How about you guys? I'm talking about your wages are cut in half. And the big budget meetings on the on on the table right now. What would it be? Aha! Uh -huh. Watering that grass. Yeah, I like that. Maybe we could pray for that, huh? How about you guys? Stop buying groceries. Yeah. My wife gets tired of me when I go to the grocery store. Sometimes I say we could save a lot of money if we stop eating, but that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So I don't think stop buying groceries is going to do it. But what do you think? Yeah, yeah. How about you guys? Ooh, yeah. That's they could go. Yeah, those kids. We don't need them. Yeah, they. Yeah, right up there. Well. You might get the Department of Family Services calling on you, but that's the way it is. Okay, how about you guys? What would be the first thing that would go? Wages cut in half. Don't look at her. You make a decision. <laughs> that's right. Start looking at the old bargains, wouldn't we? Yeah, how about you? What would you do? Wow. You know, a lot of things would, would take a second look, wouldn't they? Yeah. How about you guys? What would go? Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't pay the bills, yeah. Yeah, lots of things. How about the younger version here? What do you guys think? Yeah, or a lot of things. How about you, Darren, what would you do? Yeah, how about that? How about you, Darren? How about you guys? Ooh, yes, yes. She doesn't like that. Which one, what, what other one would be? Yeah, oh boy. I think we'll just move right on right now. We've just kind of touched on a nerve, praise God. Well, there's no question about it. We would really, really go down the list, wouldn't we? Amen. I think my wife, she was one that said that the first, one of the first things that would be going would obviously be eating out. You know, you can eat in. You can do a lot better, you know, with groceries and things like that. And, you know, sometimes, um, you know, downturns like that are not such a bad idea. They're really not. And sometimes it does cause us to kind of take a look at what's going on and that type of thing. But tonight, we're not talking about cutting back on spiritual things. We're talking about the necessity of the Holy Ghost. You know, it's, it's, it, sometimes, you, you know, you, you see people that do that where they'll start... In my opinion, I call it shooting themselves in the foot where things will happen in their lives where they really need more of God, but boy, it just seems like they move further and further and further away. And we want to be careful with that kind of thinking, praise God. Now, two things we're going to talk about tonight, um, uh, among other things, we're going to talk, first of all, that Jesus, he stressed the necessity of receiving the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to give you some scriptures so that you can, you can see that, that, that Jesus himself you know, um, um, you know, uh, talked about the necessity of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then we're going to look at a, a, a situation with the Apostle Paul when he encountered some, some disciples, people who were believers, people who, um, uh, for the most part, were trying to do their best living for God. And he asked them an interesting question. So we'll examine these things according to Scripture, and hopefully we can we can come up with the, um, with, the, with the same conclusion in Jesus' name. Now, Sister Carnahan here in just a little bit is going to play a video. But before she does that, I want you to look at your Bibles in John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 3. This is, of course, um, uh, the dialogue that went on between Jesus and a, and a man named Nicodemus who was, you know, a, a very religious man. He was a, a leader in, in the Jewish culture and that type of thing. And, um, and just listen to what the Word of God says here and see if you can pick out the necessity of this. And that's really what we're trying to strive tonight or we're trying to emphasize tonight, that the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not some option. This is the thing that, that, that grieves my spirit at times when I talk to people uh, from time to time, that they just want to place an option on this thing. And I think if you read these words here, and if you um, ask the Lord to show you, I think you're going to see and come to the same conclusion that the Holy Ghost is not an option. Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse number 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So you see that he had a position. Scripture says in verse 2, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. 
Now, we understand that that was a tremendous controversy at that time, who Jesus was, that the, the mainstream Jewish religion did not want to accept him as the Messiah. And one of the reasons they didn't is because they, they didn't feel like they came, he came the way they thought he should have. But nevertheless, we know that Jesus is, was, and still is God. Can you say amen? amen. So Nicodemus coming at night, you know, was really, he was breaking protocol there. And, um, and he just, you know, he knew that there was something about this Jesus. Now, I want you to notice the response here that Jesus gave to him. And I think this is, note, uh, this is worth noting many, many times. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, the word there would mean of a truth. I'm telling you the truth now, Nicodemus. He said, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, you could actually replace the word except there for the word unless. And that really kind of drives the point a whole lot stronger, doesn't it? Jesus was saying, you know, unless you are born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And the word see there really comes from a Greek word that means to comprehend the kingdom of God. And so, again, Jesus emphasizing the importance of being born again. Now, if you were to take an opinion poll tonight, you know, of people in different churches, and again, I'm not finding fault, I'm just telling you what I've observed, and you ask them, what, what, what does it mean to be born again? I'm going to tell you something, you're going to get a mixed review there. You're going to get people that are going to, they're going to make statements like, well, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the popular ones is accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And again, I'm not here to find fault, but I'm saying, you know, that's not really biblical. Not really. It's not in the Bible. There's, the only place that it talks about being accepted is that the fact that God accepts us. Now, again, I'm not here to find fault. I'm just here to further the truth in Jesus' name. And so Jesus emphasized that you must be born again. There was no option there. And so I think that's why, you know, the apostolic church takes such a big, a strong view on that. And we have been accused of being, you know, people that just are hardliners and all of that kind of business. But the bottom line is, folks, if you study this out, which I hope that you will, if you, if you have any hesitation or any... Um, um, qualms about this, study this out and you're going to find that Jesus told a very religious person, somebody who in, in, in the world you would think would already be saved. Jesus told that man that he must be born again. Can you say amen? Well, let's further this. Now, here's Nicodemus and he's getting that statement put to him. And his response to that is how? Which I don't think is a bad question. I think it's a good question. He's going, how do, I, how do we do this? And of course, he's got his own rendition of this. The Bible says, how can a man be born when he's old? He said, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And realistically, he was talking about the only birth that he about, knew about. Now here, in verse number 5, you see Jesus clarify it. And that's what you find in Scripture. And that's what you must search for in Scripture. Sometimes we have some vague things that we say that, in my opinion, we need to further it on. We need to search further. And I believe that Jesus helps us with this in verse number 5. Look at this. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, again. He says, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water 
and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus is stressing two very, very important points here. First of all, to be able to comprehend the kingdom of God, which I feel like is important. And then I don't know about you guys, but I want to enter into the kingdom of God. So again, we're talking about a very, very, very um, important subject here. And one that a lot of times brings controversy, although it really shouldn't. It really shouldn't. If we could learn how to accept God's word and just receive it, I'm going to tell you something. I think a lot of things could be a whole lot simpler. And so Jesus further clarifies this by saying, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, he said, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind blows, bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So Jesus emphasized the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so you and I must embrace that, praise God. And so God can help us to do that. Sister Carnahan, do you have that uh, video um, um, up? I'm going to have you go ahead and play it if you don't mind. <coughs> When I was 11 years old at a Florida district kids camp, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you and I were right now to get into our car on a plane and go to the Florida campground, I can show you the exact spot where I started speaking in tongues for the first time. I remember who prayed me through. I remember the service and who spoke. And I'm sure as you're listening to this, you have a similar story. There's something about the power of receiving the Holy Ghost that just sticks with us. We remember that first time. In the book of John, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's asking, how can I be born again? Am I supposed to enter back into my mother's womb? And Jesus responds and says, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. And when we are born of the spirit, we have this experience. The Bible talks about this unspeakable joy. And a lot of times when you maybe you're praying someone through, you remember for yourself the first time that you started speaking in tongues, that joy that the Bible describes is something that you've experienced. You'll hear people talk about that they've never felt this way before. I've never experienced something like this. And that is the incredible joy of the Holy Ghost. And we have that power inside of us. And, and the Lord has given us the evidence of the spirit that we can walk in power. The book of Acts talks about that we receive power after we receive the Holy Ghost. And that is something that is a promise that the Lord has given to each and every one of us. Awesome, awesome. We call that a witness is what we call that. Do you remember the first time you ever heard somebody speak in tongues? You remember that? I do too. I remember before I came to an apostolic church, I was seeking, I was seeking different things and going to different groups and I was involved in some Bible studies and things like that. But a man um, um, invited me to a full gospel businessman meeting and I had no idea what it was. And I, so I went and I knew this guy. I felt like he, he was a credible person. And so I went and I'll never forget sitting in on, on that business meeting. Um, and actually it wasn't business, it was kind of a service is what it was. But all of a sudden the person in front of me started speaking in a language that I had, you know, I knew it was not English and, and kind of went on and, and the person who was doing the speaking was kind of a little bit demonstrative and it was one of the first experiences I had with that. I came out of a religious group that 
really, really condescended this kind of thing, and, and, and they really didn't uh, uh, promote it and that type of thing, and so I was seeking, but I'll never forget uh, hearing that, and the person who was sitting next to me, I, I'll never forget that, I said, what are they doing? And um, the person looked at me and they said, you don't know what that is? I said, no, I've never heard anything like that before. And they said, well, this person is speaking in tongues. I said, is it good? And they said, well, yeah, it's not bad. I said, the Holy Ghost. That's when people get the Holy Ghost, they begin to speak in other languages. And I'll never forget going home that night, you know, very curious. And what it did for me, I, I don't know what it, what, it, what it did for you the first time you heard it, was it, it really caused me to start looking in the Bible. Because I thought to myself, you know, if this is really a genuine biblical experience, you know, I, it would do me good to start seeking it out. Uh, but if it isn't, I certainly want to be aware of all of this stuff. Because I'd heard the rumors, I'd heard all kinds of crazy things that went on in spirit-filled churches and stuff like that. And I'm sure most, a lot of you have too. I mean, they're out there. The rumor mills are thick as, as they can get. But the bottom line is, you know, you know, the scripture tells us that this speaking in tongues, I want to show you something here. I want to show you something here. Look at uh, the 14th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm kind of veering off here a little bit, but I feel like somebody here tonight can benefit from this. You know, in the book of Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about the operations of the Spirit and that type of thing, and, and he goes into a lot of different things. The 12th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians really deals with, with, with the identification of the spiritual gifts and the, the fact that what, why are they there, what are they for, they're for the edification of the church and that type of thing. And then you get into the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, which really gives you the motive behind the spiritual gifts, which is love. But it's the 14th chapter of the book of 1 um, of, uh, Corinthians that really gets into the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in a local church. And you do yourself well to study that chapter. I'm not going to recite the whole thing. I just want to show you something here in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. The Bible says in verse 21, actually let me beginning in verse 20. The Bible says Paul, again, instructing the church, he says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice or in evil be ye children, but in understanding be men. So Paul is saying, grow in your understanding, okay? And then he says, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Notice that. He's saying, this has been stated, that a lot of these things are going to go on, but people won't hear it. But notice this in verse 22. He said, wherefore tongues are for a sign. It's like she said, you know, when she received the Holy Ghost, and same with me, when I received the Holy Ghost, it was a sign. I really didn't know what it was, but I knew there was something that was happening. And so the Bible says there in verse 22, therefore, or wherefore, tongues are a sign, not to them that believe. Notice that. And when I, re when I went back into memory lane there and I remember the first time I heard somebody speak in tongues, I never, I, I, this scripture really pointed out to me. I thought to myself, I wasn't a believer at that time. I had never heard of it. I'd never heard of speaking in other tongues. But boy, was it a sign. And I'm here to tell you folks, that's what I see today. God is giving all kinds of signs about these things. And a lot of times what we want to do, or I shouldn't say what we want to do, but what the flesh wants to do is shut it down. When in essence what God says, I want people to hear this. I want people to know this. 
And so we must understand, praise God, that tongues is for a sign to them that believe, or not for a sign for them that believe, but for them that believe not. Now prophesying serveth not to them that believe not, but for them that believe. And so you notice that, that God has put all kinds of signs and wonders in this world, praise God. And I'm going to tell you something, you know, he's, he's going to make sure that it gets advertised and he's going to make sure that it gets out there. And, um, and I, I think that's a good thing, praise God, you know. So when it comes to being born again, again, Jesus emphasized the fact that we must be born again. This is not some option. This is not some denominal church's decision to do whatever they want to do, although that's what happens. No, this is something from God that he determined, praise God, that every individual would get. Can you say amen? How many in here have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, praise God, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? That's great. Why don't you take that other hand and just thank God for that right now? Would you do that? Come on, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And I believe what God wants to do is give somebody some understanding here tonight. Help us to understand that it's not a bad thing. It's not something that we have to force on people. It's something, praise God, that people, if they really do want it, they're going to receive it. Oh, yes, they are. They're going to receive it in Jesus' name. Praise God. And so, again, we must be born again. Jesus emphasized that. Number two, we see where the apostle Paul emphasize the fact that we need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. His conversion was a unique one. He was knocked off of a horse, you know, and he was blinded. He was led into a city, you know, where he was to receive a word from somebody. And of course, if you study this, this story out in the ninth chapter of the book of the Acts, you know, Ananias was the guy's name, and he was real leery about going. He said, God, do you know who this guy is? You know, this guy's got quite a reputation. But you know, the Lord calmed Ananias down and said, listen, I got this covered. You just go in there and you tell him what I want, you, what, what I want him to hear. And it's a beautiful story. So we see that the Apostle Paul was converted. And you've got to understand something, folks. Like Nicodemus, the Apostle Paul was a very, very, very religious person. In fact, there weren't too many that were at the top of his ladder. But the Apostle Paul received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. You know? And so you must understand that the Apostle Paul was used greatly. Now, the, the, the verses of Scripture that I want to bring to your attention regarding this is found in the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 19. And this is, of course, when Paul was on one of his missionary journeys. He went throughout the region preaching the gospel and that type of thing and, and, and began to, um, begin to um, um, establish disciples in different churches and that type of thing. Well, listen to what the Word of God says here, and I think this is important, praise God. It says in verse, chapter 19 of Acts, Acts chapter 19 and verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Now, notice what he's doing here. You know, he's finding some believers, people who believe in the things of God. Well, the scripture says, he said unto them. Now, notice the question he asked them. And you might think this is strange, but I don't think it is, especially when you believe in the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't think it's a bad question to ask people. And so Paul asked them, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they, of course, you know, related to him that they'd never heard of it. 
They'd never heard of it, kind of like me when I went to that full gospel business meeting. I'd never heard of it, you know. And so when I did see it and when I heard that sign, it really, really caused my curiosity to go up. It really did. Well, notice his response. He said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Now, if you'll study the third chapter of the book of Matthew the, the, um, and, and, and the early portions of the Gospel of Luke, you're going to find that John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Christ. He was the one that started his ministry about six months before Jesus came onto the scene. And he publicly baptized. Now, you might think, that's no big deal. Yes, it was back then. That was not something that happened. And so Paul, or not Paul, but the, the, uh, John the Baptist introduced public baptisms. And he was baptizing for the, remi- for, for, for the baptism of repentance. And he was encouraging people, you need to believe on the one that's coming after me. You know, he's the one that's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost or baptize you with the Holy Ghost in fire. So John was, was, was emphasizing Jesus, and I think that's a good thing, praise God. And so here you are, you have some, uh, some disciples of that movement. Not a bad thing, folks. This is not something to put down, this is something to commend. I've talked to a lot of people who have never been baptized in Jesus' name or received the Holy Ghost yet. And they've told me how they came to a, to a place of repentance. I don't put that down. I don't say that's bad. You just haven't got anything yet. No, I, I build up what they've already received. If somebody tells me they, they're a believer in God, I say that's a great thing. Praise God. But let me show you what believers will receive. See, I use that as a springboard. And you can do the same thing. Listen to me, folks. You don't have to make this a controversial thing. What you can make this is an informational thing. And your testimony will be a powerful emphasis of it. Hallelujah. Then the weekend after I received the Holy Ghost, I was working at John Deere and I was involved in a couple of different Bible studies out there. One of them in particular was with a group of people who did not believe in speaking in tongues. In fact, they put it down. And I'll never forget, because of my exuberance, I went back. And that Monday, I went to the Bible study. I worked second shift, and I started talking. And I started telling them about what happened to me on Sunday night. And man, I was just going right through it. I was telling, folks, you're, this is great, man. I received the Holy Ghost. I began to speak in other tongues. And there was four of them. There was about 12 in the Bible study, but there was four of them that I could notice out of the corner of my eye. They were getting madder and madder and madder. And I thought, what's going on here? This is a great thing. Well, after I got done testifying, they, all four of them surrounded me and said, that doesn't happen to anybody anymore. <laughs> and I went, what? And they just w- went after me. They said, people don't do that anymore. That's, that's not of God. You're, you're, you're trying to, to uh, spread false doctrine is what they told me. And I looked at them. And you've got to understand, I'm just three days old in the Lord, you know, And I looked at them, and after they got done, you know, barbecuing me or whatever they did, I looked at them and I said, listen, guys, I said, I really feel bad that you feel bad about what I got. 
But I said, you're never going to talk me out of it. I know that I received something from God. And I know that the Holy Ghost is real. And I wasn't trying to be, you know, I wasn't trying to be overbearing. I wasn't trying to think I was better than they were. But my goodness, you came a little too late to tell me that this Holy Ghost is not real. And that's what I'm talking to some people right here in this room tonight, praise God. You've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You've got the experience that Jesus emphasized. You got the experience that Paul emphasized. Come on, you're in some pretty serious company there as far as I'm concerned. Now listen to me, folks. I don't think we have to put it all over the billboards and stuff like that, although maybe that might not be a bad idea. But I do believe that we shouldn't be afraid to open our mouths, praise God, when people are asking about the experience that we've had. And so here we are, Paul saying, have you received the Holy Ghost? How were you baptized? And of course, they said they were baptized according to John's baptism. Now, you know, Paul didn't put it down. He just said that's the one that, that you know, that's the one that came before Jesus. And so the scripture says here in verse number, number five, or actually in verse number four, it says, Then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And the scripture says, look at this in verse number five. Look at this. It says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They did not resist the word of God. And I believe there are people out there in this world, in this city, in this county, praise God, that are of the same like precious faith. That if somebody would just tell them about this, I don't believe they would resist it. I believe they would do it. Now watch what happens when they got baptized. The scripture says, and when Paul, it says when they heard this, they were baptized. And in verse number six, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, what happened? Come on. This is what we can expect, praise God. This is what we can expect. And so the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues and they were and they prophesied. So that sign was there again, praise God. Now listen, before we go on here, I'll be the first person to tell you that, you know, speaking in other tongues isn't the only thing. Now it is something because it's a sign, praise God. And it was a sign that, 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 that really helped me to be convinced of this. But there's other things that you and I must understand. You know, speaking in other tongues is the initial sign of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Can somebody say amen? But we must understand there are other things that need to start coming to play. Let me mention three of them here. You know, when you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you know, the fruit of the Spirit should begin to blossom in your life. Come on, um, Galatians chapter 5, I believe it's around verses 22 and 23, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And the scripture says, against such there is no law. So ask the Lord to help you to develop that fruit in your life. This is what's needed, praise God. So the fruit of the Spirit, in my opinion, is something that will abound, praise God, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Another thing that will happen is that the Scripture tells us in John chapter number 16, Jesus said that the Holy Ghost would convict us. And we must expect that. Now, conviction is not condemnation. Conviction is just telling us what we're not doing right. You know, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what we should believe, reproof, what we shouldn't believe, you know, correction, you know, and instruction in righteousness that the right, no, instru in, 
instruction in righteous or instruction that the man of God would be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You and I must understand that God's spirit in us is going to convict us. And it's not something to be scared of. It's something to welcome. How many here have felt the convicting power of God in your life? Yeah, that's good. You should thank God for that. That absolutely is of the Lord. That's God because he loves you. And he doesn't want to see you go down the same pathways that you've been going down. So conviction will come. And the neat thing about conviction is that usually with conviction, he'll give you some, he'll give you a recourse. Praise God. He'll tell you what you can be doing. And so that's what I needed, praise God. When I first came to the church, I knew I was doing a bunch of stuff that I shouldn't be. But I needed somebody to tell me what I could start doing. And so this is what God can help us to do. So you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have conviction, which is really is something that God wants to do. And then the last thing I want to just emphasize tonight is that you and I can't pray the way God wants us to pray. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not saying that you shouldn't put forth the effort. But you must understand that God gave you the Holy Ghost so you could get involved in intercessory prayer according to the will of God. That's what God wants to help you to see. And believe me, folks, this is all kind of a, a process. These are things that you and I have to get used to and we have to get comfortable with. But aren't you glad you can come to a church like this where nobody's going to shut you down, where you can go to a prayer room and you can learn how to pray in the Spirit, where you, <laughs> where you can come into a sanctuary like this and you can hear the convicting Word of God where people will encourage you, you know, to put the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I'm going to tell you something, folks. This is what they call, what I call anyway, a godly environment. And this is what God, let's just lift our hands right now and thank God for it. Come on, close your eyes and just say, thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I'm so glad that I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So glad. Privilege. What a privilege. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. What a privilege. Thank you, Jesus, for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. I don't believe we should hit people over the head with it, but I believe that you and I, we need to embrace this in Jesus' name. Now, let me ask you a question. Maybe I'll get a couple of you to comment here, but why do you believe it's so difficult um, why is it difficult or easy for the average person to believe God um, for the gift of the, of the Holy Ghost? You know, why do you think it's so hard or why do you think it's so easy? What do you think? Yeah, that's true. And we got plenty of them. How about over here? Anybody here? Why do you think it's so hard? Why? Ah, that's, that's a good point, uh, Marvin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of us were not raised in a, in, a, in a church like this, and that's why when we hear this, like myself at that full gospel business of me, it's like, whoa, what is that, you know? And right away we think, boy, what is that? I, somebody had their hand over there.
You know, when I first came to Gillette, I worked, I, I'm not going to mention the name of the religion. I, I could, but, I, but I, I worked for a guy that, um, okay, he was a Jehovah Witness, okay? And he gave me a job. I didn't have a job when I came to Gillette, so he gave me a job citing his house. And then he said, I got a bigger job that's coming about a week later, and it did. I was an abatement of a school over here. And I'll never forget, I went to work for him. He's a nice guy. Terry was his name. Good, just a good, nice guy. He, he told me, he said, I, I want to help you out. And so he did. But I'll never forget, he had a worker there. Uh, his brother-in-law, in fact, was named Chris. And Chris and I would get into some discussions over the dinner table, and pretty soon we got into some pretty lively discussions, and Terry come around the corner and said, oh, I knew that was going to happen. Well, Chris um, was really curious. He was very curious, and he would come out to my house at night, and my wife was there and my kids, and him and I, we would stay up and study the Bible until like 2 and 3 in the morning. He was just hungry for the Word of God. And so we were looking in all kinds of Scripture, and we got on the, the, the subject of speaking in tongues. And I didn't bring it up. He did. And he said, you know, he said, I don't think tongues is any good. He said, he said I think it's of the devil. And I knew where he was coming from, you know, and he went on for a little while. And, I, and, and, um, and, he, and, and finally, when he got done, I said, well, Chris, I said, do you think that I'm of the devil? And he looked at me and he says, no. He said, you're a pretty good guy. He said, I've been working around you now for about a month. He said, yeah, I think, I think you're a pretty good guy. I said, well, Chris, I speak in other tongues. And you could just about hear his jaw drop on the floor. He didn't know what to say about that. You see, all he knew was what somebody was telling him. And I'm not here to bring any fault in this city. But I'm here to tell you that God has got viable experiences in this Bible that he wants everyone to have an opportunity for. And sometimes you just got to get over that, that obstacle of weren't raised in it, hang-ups. I mean, all of these things. And I'm sure all of you could come up with all kinds of different reasons for it. And I'm going to tell you something. God has a way of getting us through that, doesn't he? Come on, listen to me, folks. The necessity of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us on this side of heaven. And I believe that you and I, we just need to understand that it's essential. Praise God. What's it essential for? Well, it's essential for salvation, for sanctification, for ministry, for resurrection. When you start, when you start reading this Bible and studying the operation of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're going to come to the same conclusion that I have in my opinion. And you're going to come to the conclusion that, man, what did I do without it? How did I operate without it? And that's where I've gone with this. I feel sorry for these other groups that don't promote it. Why? Because they're missing out on so much. You know, in your books, these um, uh, discipleship books that you take home, you know, one of the examples they give you this week on this lesson has to do with the wind. And they made the reference to the fact that, you know, for years, boats, you know, they would have to be um, uh, guided on the shore because, you know, they would either have oars or they would have people with lines that would direct those boats and that type of thing. And it wasn't until, I think they said the 4000 BC, that it was the, the Egyptians that begin to harness the wind. And of course, we understand that the wind is very powerful, especially out here in this country, you know. 
I mean, we've heard of tornadoes, we've heard of, you know, uh, hurricanes and all of that kind of business and the destructive side of that, but you must understand that if wind can be, great, can be rightly harvested, it can become one of our best friends. And that's what Jesus gave reference to. Notice that in, in John chapter number 3. He gave reference to the wind. And what God wants to do is he wants to put the wind in your life. I'll never forget hearing the story of Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager was, a, was a, uh, an experimental pilot, and he talked about breaking the sound barrier. And I read a book one time on it, and it was just fascinating. You know, some of the things that those guys did, they had to go up there, and some of those planes literally fell apart when they were trying to break the sound barrier. But he mentioned that he was the first one, I think it was Chuck Yeager was the first one that broke the sound barrier. And he talks about the fact that when he got very close to breaking that, that his plane was shaking and it was like he thought the thing was going to fall apart. But he said as soon as he broke the sound barrier, he said that it was, there was a force that was behind him that prior to that, that was in front of him. That force that was resisting him now became the force that was behind him and was pushing him faster and faster and faster. And I want to let you folks know tonight, that's one of the things that God wants to do in your life. I know that you're resisting things. I know that there are oppositions that are coming up against you. But if you'll keep praying in the Spirit, if you'll keep believing God, I believe you're going to break some of those barriers and that thing that was resisting you is going to come behind you and it's going to push you further and harder and greater in the name of Jesus. Come on, can you lift your hand right now and thank God for the beautiful baptism of the Holy Ghost? Oh, I'm telling you, it's ours. It's what God wants from us or for us in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. So to conclude this Bible study tonight, we must be born again. That's what Jesus said. Paul didn't put those, you know, those people down, those 12 people down in Ephesus. He encouraged them, and they all received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, praise God. And so you and I, we must, we must be convinced of this in, G in Jesus' name, praise God. And you know, one, one of the greatest things that's going to happen to us is the resurrection. You and I are going to be a part, praise God, of the first resurrection. You know, like Jesus... And the Bible teaches us, let me read this to you, you know, but if, if the spirit of him, now this is found in Romans 8 and 11, it says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. See, that's what God's going to do for you. Praise God. He's going to quicken you and me, and we're going, to be, we're going to be into eternity, praise God. You know, one man wisely said that a revelation without a response will only leave you with an education without an experience. Now think about that. Let me read that again. You know, that a revelation without a response will only leave you with an education without an experience. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost is and experience. That's what God designed it to be. He didn't design for you and I to take possession of it. He didn't design for you and I to gloat about it. He didn't design for you and I to think that we're better than somebody else because we have it, but he did design for us to experience it. 
And that's why I'm glad that I was led to an apostolic church where people aren't resisting the move of the Holy Ghost, but they're promoting the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's what makes all the difference in Jesus' name. Let me just quickly read this. The old man was a worshiper. He had walked with God for decades, and his love for the Lord had only gotten richer and deeper. While his physical strength might have been waning a bit, that did not keep him from stepping out of his pew and exercising his remaining strength in enjoying the Holy Ghost. That's what he would say. Now, a visitor came to the church one night and, and was somewhat taken aback by the elder's shouts of praise, his shuffling dance, and especially his expressions in other tongues. Having come from a religious background that denied the validity of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the visitor was somewhat disapproving of the man's conduct. Well, after the service, the visitor boldly made her way up to the simple country gentleman. And with an expression on her face that could sour milk, she you know, stated, you know, you don't have to do all that. Well, you know what his response was? And it was golden. He said, ma'am, you don't have to take a bath either, but it sure feels good, and it makes you more pleasant to be around. I like kind of responses like that in Jesus' name. Wasn't putting the lady down, because she probably came from a background that many of you came from, where they didn't talk about this stuff, where they didn't teach this stuff. But aren't you glad that you can come on a Wednesday night and you can realize, realize what you got? Praise God is precious. Why don't you stand with me tonight? Praise God. I'm talking about the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Let's lift up our hands right now. Come on. Let's call upon the Lord to help us to further appreciate what God has done. Come on, I believe the Lord wants to do that here tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, I appreciate what you're doing. Oh, yes, I do. I appreciate what you're doing in the name of Jesus. And Lord God, I pray for the spirit of the Lord, Lord, to just help us. Lead us, Lord God. Help us not to be ashamed of it, Lord God. Help us to, Lord God, welcome the spirit in our lives every day. And I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. What a precious privilege in the name of Jesus. Come on, one more time. Let's give God praise and glory. Thank you for coming out tonight. I hope that we've been able to answer some of your questions. If not, you're, you can always get a hold of me and we'll sit down and open up our Bibles. I'd be more than glad to do that. Sunday, of course, is our service that we'll have next here. And then Sunday morning we'll have services. And then Sunday evening we will have services also. I think it's the only Sunday night that we're going to be having services this month. And so um, come Sunday believing the things of God. You're looking at me very strange, sister. Oh, okay. I thought I said that the Sunday was going to be the service that we're having next. Yes. Praise God. Yes. But that's what we're going to do, okay? Is that all right? Is that clarity? All right. So Sunday we'll have services on the morning and in the evening, and we're going to have a great time. Get yourself a calendar of this, of this month. Lots of things are going on. We have special services along with special events. And so the Lord bless you tonight. Thank you again for coming, and the Lord bless you. Next week we'll carry it on in Jesus' name.